to the UND Insider Weekly Podcast. I'm Tim Hennessy, along with Brad Schlossman and Tom Miller from the Grand Forks Herald. And we are in a beautiful suite here at Ralph Ingolstadt Arena. I, you know, I don't even, on my pass, I don't know about you guys, but my pass doesn't have S on it. They no, don't, they try they to don't keep, want my kind on this level. They try to keep us shady characters outside of these uh, places. We but. snuck in, though, this time around, huh? Yeah, emptied yeah. out their fridge pretty good here in the last <laughs> half hour. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Did you check it out? <laughs> no, I, I haven't, but <laughs> I wouldn't this be a should? place to call a game from right here? You could set I up know. right here down low. This is, well, this is about the way it is at Bemidji or Duluth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Duluth, you, you really the, feel on the ice, don't you? Yeah. You just don't have the fridge and the private bathroom and the, you know, the couch. Not you could call a game things. from a couch, Tim. Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> I should call it from the penalty box sometime. I know Ole has said he wants to he wants to do the color from the penalty box sometime. <laughs> or, get not the penalty box or the camera well like yeah. down where where Marv is all the time with the TV camera. Oh yeah. Anyway, lots of uh, joviality in the greater Grand Forks area and among UND hockey community because as I walked in here today, walking up to the building, I said, there's the home of the national champions right there. Uh, Pretty cool. That is the uh, first time in 16 years they could say that and actually first time in this building. Yeah, well, that's just it. I I think someone started to talk about the curse of the old Ralph. Yeah. And I think it took plowing it under and building something else there (laughs) for for it to happen. Maybe just get rid of the dang thing and and we'll have to make something happen. But you're right. The last national championship was housed by uh, the old Ralph Ingolstead Arena. Yeah, second to last season over there. And then they played one final season and they lost in the national championship game in overtime that year. And, um, and they, they came here and were, you know, I, I think they were so close so many times that I got a sense of in that third period after they scored those goals, it was just kind of uh, UND fans, you know, releasing all those years <laughs> of, you know, yeah, pent up, uh, you know, that the heartbreak uh, year after year and finally just really enjoying it. I think it really uh, spoke to the passion of the UND fans uh, to see that because, I mean, there's a lot of places that you don't win, and especially when you're you're there at the doorstep so many times, that some, some of them start to tail off a little bit. Yeah. These people, I think, are just <laughs> like the players. We're going to get this. We're going to yeah. get this. I, I, I really think it spoke volumes of the fan base of this team, don't you think? Yeah, for sure. I, I don't think they ever uh, stop traveling nope. anywhere. Um you know, I would hear comments, I think, at some of the Frozen Fours. Wow, I'm not going to go to the next one. Next one, come on. I'm going, you know, absolutely. You know, so it's kind of funny how uh, they would always show up. And I think a, a lot of people uh, had a feeling that this might be a, a, a different outcome this year, you know. I that think- was, it was something, uh, guys, I was talking to actually to, well, several of the players about it. But there was a blend on this team where, yeah, they were, they were dead set on they're going to win this thing. You know, mm-hmm. the guys that came back that put, that maybe had opportunities to leave and that, and they would set their goal right from the start to win it all, uh, which every team does. Yep. But this team, obviously, this program knows you're probably going to have a chance at some point. Yeah. Uh, but so they were real focused, but a team normally when they're real focused, it, you have this picture of them with their fists clenched and their teeth clenched. This team wasn't like that. They were loose in yeah. a lot of ways. It was really a strange blend, don't you think? Yeah, they, they definitely had the attitude. Uh, they had the talent. Um, I remember on the, the plane ride going down, um, we were talking about that, and I, I think I said this was the second time since I've been covering the team that UND's going to the Frozen Four where um, I feel confident in saying they're the best team there. 
this one in 2011. <laughs> they are the best team in the country. They are the best team there. And so that automatically gives you a little bit of an advantage when, when you do have the talent. And then, like you said, I think this group uh, had the right mix between uh, drive and uh, they they were a little bit loose in the locker room. Uh, Just kind of a real quiet confidence, I guess, yeah. is what it was. I was actually know? surprised after the Northeastern game because they only had one down there. They still had another game to go the next day at how loose they were in the locker room after that game. And Well, I think you could have taken it either either way with the Frozen Four experience. You could say, well, well, you know, some of these kids have, this is their third time at the Frozen Four, so maybe they're, maybe they're more lax. They're not you know surprised mm -hmm. by any sort of uh you know hoopla that surrounds the frozen four but you go you could also look at it as that could develop a a uh, kind of a complex that you know things haven't gone our way here you know uh oh here we go again yeah. type type yeah. lines you, of thinking you know what was interesting to me is i sat down with one of the players wednesday at pr after practice and uh, they had that great production when they got there. They had the pirates, the beads, the band, and everything like that. And he almost seemed a little annoyed. He was like, you know, it's nice, but I, I, let's just get to the hotel. I just want to get here, get to the hotel, and get to practice. Like, they didn't want any of the hooplas around it. They just wanted to go about to their business and... Um, it was kind of funny that he didn't almost didn't enjoy it. He just said, well, that, well, "I just want to get to playing." That was what was it? Stetcher's comment, something about the two two people who liked it the most were Barry's little kid and Jackson's <laughs> little kid. Yeah, you know, I think they were the ones who. Yeah, did but it. you know what? Don't you think that twenty years down the line they'll remember that? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, oh, yeah, great playing to the reggae band and the pirates. And oh, I, yeah. I think it was tremendous. What That's they why did. I think they should do that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, oh, didn't, I didn't mind them doing that. No, I don't either. I, you, you know, I think that was. Uh, like, yeah, like you said, it's an experience that you'll remember years down the road, and I think it uh, it makes it feel more like a you know it's a big deal when you get there yeah. and you have all that stuff going on. They they did it. I think you said it perfectly uh, out in Tampa. Some of the other Frozen Fours we've been to, it seems like the host is okay. We're doing this, whatever. It seemed yeah. like Tampa really got on board. Yeah, they really more than, embraced it. Yes, I think they really did it. And as far as the attitude of the team, and I and I and I feel at some, I feel for Coach uh, for Dave Hackstall, mm -hmm. because we saw him over a couple of uh, four or five uh, appearances here try something different. Mm -hmm. They, I think, in Philly they were real loose. Yep. And then I they think he thought, great. well, yeah. And I think in Boston, I think he thought he had to maybe turn the screws a little bit. Maybe we'll try that. He tried everything. Yeah. Uh, and and it didn't. It just didn't pan out for him. And so uh, this time, whatever uh, whatever take uh, Brad Berry had on it, uh, it, it it worked. It maybe been just the finished product of everything that had built up to that premium. Oh, I think so. And I think having the talent they did helped. And. Um, you know, who knows if Denver scores on that power play with six minutes to go, we're probably wondering what went wrong or what they did wrong. But One of the dumbest penalties of the season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That that's, the, that's the crazy part about hockey and the line you walk, isn't it? I mean, we uh -huh. could be having a completely different conversation if if one puck goes in on some weird way. But and I they, think it was, was it you that wrote uh, that, you know, everybody, all the accolades and everything uh, to Drake Kajula, to Brock Besser, biggest goal of the season was uh, Nick Schmaltz's goal. Oh, absolutely. With 59 or 58 seconds, whatever it was. Left no question about it. And he made such a great play. I didn't get to see it live. I, my head was buried in my computer trying to type about how UND <laughs> lost another one in the Frozen Four. <laughs> so Schmaltz scored and I had to delete it. <laughs> but he, uh, it's, you know, the face-off play, and his role is that uh, Besser's taking the face-off. It's his role then to pick 
the D-man from getting out to the shooter, and he did. Uh-huh. But and the shot, so the shot gets off. But instead of just you know standing there and watching, he went right to the net. Yeah, and he I'm, did. I mean that that's you know, Bubs talked about play away from the puck all season. Yeah. That I thought was a perfect example of it. And a guy that was just hungry because a lot of guys would just stand there. Yeah, and he hoped the shot went in. A high end skill guy that you don't peg as a this guy's going hard to the net type play, but oh, yeah. um, he did. And I think Denver figured out what a lot of teams and they already knew this, but what a lot of teams found out this season is you give those guys the slightest opening for one second and it'll end up in the back of the net and it was a broken play, and Besser makes a great backhand pass in between the defender's stick and body. And, and I, uh, I still don't know how it got through that. There is such a tiny window yeah. in, was it Nolan Zajac, I believe? Yeah. And I have I have no idea how that went five-hole through him. Kind of yeah. like, uh, like the goal with six-tenths of a second left by Minnesota, how <laughs> yeah. they got in the far post <laughs> yep. and into the net past Rocco Grimaldi sliding and the, and the whole deal. But I thought it was interesting, too, against Denver. You knew that was going to be a battle. And it's yep. 2 nothing, and all of a sudden it's 2-2. Two, two. And you talked to the guys, too, and I interviewed them after the game, especially Stetcher. I said, you get, uh, you know, did you get rattled? I said, yeah. <laughs> yeah. At which I thought was a great answer. And I said, well, was it because of the stage? He said, yeah. <laughs> you don't hear that kind of honesty very team? often. Yeah, I, yeah I've, ne- I've never heard anyone say that. And he was, yeah, we, were, we weren't composed at all. And it's just, it was so funny and how honest they were. And, even, you know, I'd ask questions about Luke Johnson getting injured in that game. And they were saying things like, oh, we really got work once Luke went out, you know. <laughs> they were pretty, they're pretty, yeah. pretty blunt. It's, it was kind of fun, and they, you know, they get the big goal, uh, obviously from uh, from Nick Schmaltz in the in the final minute of the game to move on. But I think uh, I think they deserved it. Yeah, yeah. I really do. Yeah. I don't think it was. I don't think Denver goes back and goes. They got lucky. Uh, no, I mean it was a fairly even game. Yeah. The shots were even in the first period, even in the second period, and even in the third period. You know? Yeah, I mean even when they were scrambling, they still were playing pretty good defensively. Yes, Denver's were chances were not point blank. Yeah. yeah, they they kept Denver to the outside when they had that puck possession, and um, I thought they they did a good job with that. And then Quinnipiac, who, uh, who really could have let it go against Boston College, but uh, didn't, and found out as uh, the more you talk to people out there, the more and not a whole lot of love for that program <laughs> in the East Coast. Yeah, I've I've learned that the last few uh, weeks. That yeah. uh, uh, I don't know what happens out there because we don't go out there a whole lot. But they certainly haven't made a lot of friends out there. You know, just from. And then we saw the way they played, and I, I and I was really taken aback. I thought, really, nobody plays that way anymore. Well, okay, you know, UND used to play that way with Gino. They were rough and tough, and they'd hit you after the whistle, and they'd give you an extra jab here, and they'd do, you know. But you know what? They backed it up. But apparently these guys have backed it up for most of the season. They only lost three games. But they didn't back it up that night. No, you, you know, I, I think I remember a little bit of that from Fargo. The Fargo game was really yeah, chippy, oh, yeah, too. Yeah, it was. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, especially the Clifton boys, uh, I think they, they got it. The, the thing is, though, in Fargo, they had officials that were calling those penalties, and they took some terrible penalties in Fargo. And, um, you know, I, I, they weren't called as much here for it. But Did you get the feeling from the one Big Ten official that he was not going to call a penalty on Quinnipiac? <laughs> I mean, I, and... You know, I, I understand. I, through the years, I've evolved in my position on officiating. I know it's extremely tough. and But I just, I thought the one guy would not. He stood there watching a guy feed 
Nick Schmaltz, <laughs> yeah, three cross checks to the one. back of the head. <laughs> yeah. To where, to where Nick got up and looked at him, and I asked Nick, I said, what did you say to him? He just went, really? <laughs> <laughs> and, he's, and then it, Austin Pagansky, the hit on Austin Pagansky should have been a major penalty, let alone no penalty. It was an elbow contact to the head. <laughs> the check on Rick Gardner should have been a major penalty. They don't call it. It's not even a minor. <laughs> and it's the one guy who was supposed to be making that call or was in a position for that call. They want the outside guy to make the call. It was the same guy that wouldn't call anything. Well, I thought it was kind of crazy then that Quinnipiac's coach and the post-game presser said yeah. they didn't <laughs> so get any they, breaks from yeah, the Yeah, they didn't get enough breaks in the first. They had the four, first four power plays of the game. And a five-on-three. And a five-on-three for 152. And you kept, you kept waiting for, you know, I feel like in hockey, that you know, they're always trying to even it up, even it up. So, you know, you kind of felt like yeah, North Dakota's going to get a couple coming here. and. I don't know if they really did. No, and, and, I, and I think all of uh, UND's penalties were legitimate penalties. They, they should have been penalties, and they were. They I, were called. I do think um, when we see other leagues' officials that, you know, I, I do think the NCHC probably has the best officials that we see oh, yeah. uh, in, in the country. You yeah, know, I don't and think there's any doubt. I, I think uh, what they've done with uh, having a guy like Mike Schmidt with his experience going down and, you know, talking to the officials. But, you know, I don't think they just um, hire officials and send them out here. I think a guy like Mike actually tries to help develop them, oh, too. Sure. And he goes to, you know, for people who don't know, um, Mike Schmidt, longtime WCHA official, sits in the press box and he'll go down between periods and talk things through with the officials. What'd you see on that? Why'd you call that? This is w what your positioning should have been or could have been there and you would have seen it better and things and he, like that. And they don't, I think they handle the officials really well. When I go back to the Austin Pagansky penalty shot against Minnesota Duluth and I asked Mike Schmidt about that one after and he said, it's his call. He says, I probably wouldn't have made that call, but from his position and where he was, he said he, he felt that was the right call, and he said, yeah, we'll stand behind that. He says, I probably wouldn't have, but I'm not saying it wasn't the right call. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying I probably, you know, Mike wouldn't have maybe called, made it a penalty shot. Yep. He said it definitely was a penalty. He said, but I don't know yeah. if I would have made it. But And I, I like that honesty because you know the last guy that we're used to, yeah. uh, you know, oh, no, that was, oh, yeah, that penalty <laughs> shot all the way, all the way. I, yeah. I mean, that's just that. So I kind of like the fact that they'll talk about it and, and admit at times when they're wrong or think they yep. might be wrong or whatever. They're never going to be perfect. It's nope. impossible to please everyone. It's a sport where uh, there's a lot of gray area, but um, I appreciate that they are trying to develop their officials just like they try to develop players here and everything. And I, I think that's worked. And I think that uh, officials want to ref in the league because of the way they take care of the officials here. Nobody had an answer for the CBS line in no. Tampa, 13 points uh, total for the weekend, and nobody all season long really had an answer for that line. You could hold them down a little bit, but as you say, just in a heartbeat, they can kill you. And yep. they might not do much against you all game long, and all of a sudden, bang. Yeah. <laughs> well, or, or like the Quinnipiac game, I think they, they were buzzing all game. Yeah. You know, I think every time they were on the ice, it was clear they were on the ice. And Well, we heard from all the teams in the, play, in the NCAA tournament, from Northeastern, from Michigan, from uh, Quinnipiac, and certainly we know Denver. The three teams not from our league, the pace. Yes. Um, North Dakota, none of them were used to that pace. No. I, I don't know if it was just a down year that way or if UND was that much better. I don't think, you know, we talked about this too, that the, the three teams that weren't in the league, I don't think they had any idea what was about to hit them because if you look at the first period of those games, they were all so lopsided, and I think they were all so caught off guard. And um, 
You know, I, I think it also speaks to how good the top of the league was. Like when I look at their last 15 games, you know, the toughest team they played was Denver. The second toughest team they played was Duluth. Mm-hmm. The, the two games here were both two, you know, those were, they were better than any other team they played in the NCAAs. So I, yeah, I, think, I ended my broadcast on Saturday night by saying that St. Cloud State, Denver, Duluth all could have won this. Yes, absolutely. You know? I, I, I think the same thing. And that thing. wasn't taking anything away from UND, but I think it was no. just telling you the strength. Those of were the team. toughest teams yeah. that they played all year. They were better than Northeastern. They were better than Michigan. Because UND isn't coming out and they outshot, what, Michigan 24 to 8 in the first period. They're not putting up 24 shots against Denver or uh, St. Cloud or Duluth. No. So. Had a lot of honors there. The all-tournament team included Drake Kajula, Brock Besser, uh, and Troy Stetcher, and, of course, uh, goaltender Cam Johnson for UND, the most outstanding player. Drake Kajula went away for a senior uh, to end his career with uh, four goals in the Frozen Four. Uh, during the entire tournament, he had, uh, he had six goals, and uh, I think all of that was uh, certainly warranted. And, and the big guy, and, and, and a lot of it, and all the way down the line, I, I don't know if you guys agree, but Cam Johnson was... Uh, he made some spectacular yeah. saves. You go right to the Michigan game mm-hmm. for the for the uh, regional championship in the first 12 seconds or what eight seconds, whatever <laughs> it was. Huge save on that yep. one. Uh, he was just he was not just he didn't have to be just solid. He had to be good, and he was. Yeah, it's kind of weird how his storyline has changed through the year. I would say his storyline kind of changed from, you know, perhaps goaltending is the weak spot of this this team this year, and then it went to, when well, you know, was good, and then Cam Johnson was good, and it was kind of like. Well, you know, maybe anybody can be goalie on this team with this defense. And then by the NCAA tournament in the Frozen Four, you kind of saw, okay, he he's a legit high-end goalie. Those yes. might have been the fir- the four best games he's put in a string together all year were the NCAA tournament games just with, you know, the, the stakes. And, you know, I, I just thought he was so good in all of them. And I think you're also wondering when you go into the NCAA tournament, how will he handle it? You know, mentally, is he, you know, he admitted his first game here, he he had the butterflies. Yeah. Is he going to have the butterflies? Well, <laughs> he sh- he sure looked locked in right from the start. And Different guy, too, isn't he? I he mean, is. In that, uh, he's the only, I can't think of any other goalie that I've ever done a game day interview with. <laughs> That I had no problem with because <laughs> that's just the way he was. Yeah, I, mean, I had no problem with this. He said, "When it's time for me to focus, when I get in that locker room before the game, then." But he said, "This morning, are you kidding? Sure, let's do it." Yeah, and, and I wouldn't even approach any of the other yeah. guys on a game day. Yeah. But that's just uh, he was able to do like the rest of the team. When it was time to yep. get down to business, they were ready to get down to business. It was interesting. Yeah, the uh, CBS line. We should mention their numbers for those that might be thinking. Totally on the season, 157 points and a plus 135 rating. Uh, that's that's just bizarre. So is what that is. Were, they were the best line in the country. You know, and I know Michigan had their guys with big numbers too. Um, I, I don't know if they were better than the CBS I line. Know, but you then know. you, but but go back to what we talked about before. Those other teams didn't know what was going to hit them yeah. when they played UND. The other team and teams in our league knew what was going to yes. hit them and prepared for it. And um, still couldn't stop it. Can you imagine what that line would have done in the Big Ten? In the Big Ten, where they they're a very uh, the Big Ten or the really ECAC? Still, yeah. Oh, you kidding? That, see, that's where I think I you know. I know the CCM line had insane numbers, but if uh, you put both lines out there, which one am I going to take? I, I'm not going to take. I'm not going to take any other line. I, I would take those guys over anyone. And like you talked about earlier, their play away from the puck is uh, pretty good too. And 
you know, I, that was what they stressed all season long. That was yeah. a big, big uh, <clears throat> emphasis for Coach Barry, is play away from the puck. And you can understand that the way they play the game with the it's not gambling style, but the way they activate their defense mm-hmm. within everything. You got to be ready to be where you should be, uh, depending on what the scenario is. You can't just stand around and watch. Yeah, and that's what made them so good too was their play away from the puck because they forced so many turnovers with the way they played, and then they would transition. It was like. Um, in uh, the championship game, there's a puck along the M wall, and it looks like the the D-man for Quinnipiac is about to get it. Nick Schmaltz comes oh. flying by, pops the stick up, gets it, and, you know, throws it there. And, Ever um, seen a quicker stick than that? I know. Get, he, he's God. been doing it all year long. And a lot of times it's that right at center ice. Yep. Go back the other way, and, and those other guys are reading it, and now you all of a sudden you're three on one. Yep, and that's that's where their play away from the puck led to offense because um, they forced so many turnovers. All right, now the the big discussion will be who's going to be left on this team when they <laughs> when they come to camp uh, next year. And we already know, uh, obviously, the seniors are gone, which would include Drake Kajulin. And... Troy Stetcher's basically said he's done. Uh, yep. He's gone. Yeah. Nothing no one knew on him yet? Uh, not yet. Uh, it's probably coming out here uh, sometime in the next two days. And I, I, have, I have no idea. Do you have any idea where he's going? I don't. I don't either. And same with Drake Kajula. I know Justin Doberman said, well, well, we'll narrow it down to a few teams, and then we're going to hop on a plane, and we're going to go to all the nice cities. <laughs> we're going to L.A. <laughs> and Vancouver and <laughs> Dallas. And That's the way to do it. And see uh, who comes up with what. I would guess uh, Paul Ledoux would be gone. Uh, uh, yeah, I would think most likely, uh, you know, talking to the Kings uh, out in uh, Tampa, they were... They're concerned that yep. he may wait. He, he could. Play he has, that card that he has like a very VC unique, played. He has a very unique option. And his is even more unique than VC's. Because if he comes back for a senior year, he is not bound by entry-level deals. So he can sign a one-way contract, which means they're basically forced to put him in the NHL right away. And he could sign a $3 million deal. The only two guys in college hockey that have done that that I can think of are Matt Gilroy from BU and Matt Reed from Bemidji, where they were old enough to where they were not bound by entry-level restrictions. So that would be a plus for Ledoux coming back. Yes, because he, he could, instead of signing... His two-way contract worth um, $900,000. And then if they stick him in the AHL, which is very possible in that organization, sure. um, that he would make like 65000 Or he, if he comes back, he could say, all right, signing a one-way, and he could get paid the same whether he's in the American right. League or AHL. And that's a very unique option. Not very many players have that. I don't see... My guess is, and I have nothing to base it on, that Luke Johnson won't be back. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, I guess. Other than that, at forward, I don't, and I don't, I don't know if Keaton Thompson will be back. I don't know if he will either. So I'm know. thinking it's Ladue Thompson and Stetcher on the back line. That's, and again, I have nothing yeah. to base it on, but I'm just just based on last year and yeah. the, the teams that came after those guys so hard last year. But I think Nick Schmaltz will come back. I think they have a chance of getting him back. Brock Besser has already said yeah. that he will be back. Which um, helps uh, other guys if they're thinking of coming back. They already know they got a Hobie guy. And Well, you could put him on a line with Tyler Jost, and you'd yeah. have, it would have to be the first-round line. Yep. <laughs> He's got three first-rounders on, yep. on that line because I'm guessing Jost will be a first-liner. And uh, guess what position Jost plays? He's a left-winger. Left winger. 
So what, what do you think? I mean, uh, do you see any other uh, defects in Cam? Is Cam Johnson? Uh, well, uh, Cam Johnson's uh, does. I've heard he's already had an NHL offer. Um, I think he turned it down. Um, so you know, we'll have to wait and see on him. The Jets want Tucker Pullman. Um, you know, he has the option of playing with his brother for the first time ever. Uh, next year and that might be kind of a, a fun deal to play with his brother and his dad here and uh, then turn pro after next year so um, they have a few other guys who they're going to come after I wouldn't be surprised if the Sharks gave uh, Osmus a call but I think uh, he knows he would be best served to to play out his senior year and go after another championship up front though it doesn't seem like too many will be gone no. With the exception of the graduates. Yeah, and, and that's uh, I think that's where um, they could really build strength next year, you know, because I think we s we've seen Pagansky's development, and uh, he's uh, he's playing at a higher level than Vandevelde or Malone were as sophomores. Oh, I think so. Um, and Rhett Gardner. He's going to be it? a he's player. Central scouting? <laughs> yeah. In the top 260? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Well... That ain't gonna stick that way because I've seen scouts all over here this year looking at him. So, well, you got a great big body that can only get bigger, <laughs> as smart as they get playing yep. in the middle and yep. compete like a junkyard dog. Are yep. you kidding me? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's gonna <laughs> get drafted. Him. I'll yeah. take him. And then I think guys like uh, Shane Gersich and Chris Wilkie, we're gonna start seeing some of their offensive skills next year. Uh, Joel Janatween, and I think we're very gonna, solid, wasn't he? Yep, and we're gonna see more offense out of him. You know, I think the. Um, I, I talked to a scout last year and asked him about Janet Tweedin, and he said, typical North Dakota player, he's good both ways. He'll be a third, fourth liner as a freshman, and then he's going to start popping offense as a sophomore. So he basically described him to a T as a freshman. <laughs> we'll see if the offense starts coming too. Well, it's all going to be very interesting. There's no doubt about that. It's always an interesting offseason every year for, for UND hockey, and I think uh, this year more than ever. But uh, regardless, we know how the program goes, and this is one that doesn't rebuild, it reloads. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't know if that's arrogance or what that is, but I think it's the truth. It's, there's probably seven or eight programs in the country that are under that uh, situation. Yeah, but. I think when you look at the consistency uh, of teams over the last 10 plus years, you know, you can throw in North Dakota, Denver, Boston College, uh, even the Quinnipiac Boston has been U. up there. Um, and yeah, you know, some of those schools uh, seem to be good every year. You got anything you want me to read, David? One second. Oh, he's struggling he's, over there. He's getting it here. Uh-oh. Our executive producer, David Folsky. Yeah, he had a... He, by he the way, has done a very average job all season, I, <laughs> I might add to. Uh, we can tell you you can subscribe to this podcast and our sister podcast, Sit Down and Cheer, on iTunes as well on SoundCloud. And don't forget to rate the podcast and leave a review. You can also get the access to the latest releases of the podcast by following at UND Insider on Twitter, and has all the information and links and where you can listen and watch your favorite UMD Sports live and on demand. Join us next week for an all-new podcast. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it. Tim Ellis here for Dave Folsky. That's this week's edition of UND Insider Weekly. Mm -hmm.